You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Everybody is breathing, but I'm drowning. I'm helpless and trapped. My own thoughts are betraying me. I'm so stupid. I'll never amount to anything. Nothing good ever happens to me. I can't recognize myself anymore. There's no joy, no hope, just numbness. You'll ask me how I'm doing and my lips will say fine. But my eyes will tell you a different story. My heart will sing a different tune. My soul will just weep. The darkness is constant. 24-7 it cages me and I can't find the key. It's exhausting. It's like being scared and tired at the same time. It's the fear of failure coupled with no urge to do anything. It's wanting friends but hating to be around people. It's wanting to be alone but not wanting to be lonely. It's feeling everything at once, yet being paralyzingly numb. More exhausting than these feelings, than the numbness, is pretending that I'm not feeling this way. You might be here and you're feeling this way. You're in this place right now. You might be here and you can think of a friend or a loved one or you might be like me and you're all too familiar with what this feels like. I know I felt this way. I felt like the darkness was overtaking me and I couldn't shake it. My grandmother died. It felt like the lights went out. My family went into crisis mode and I just felt like I was all alone. When I was let go from work, downsizing, it only reinforced that narrative of rejection that I grew up with. When I was robbed twice at work, it felt overwhelming. The trauma of that twice in a year just clouded my way of thinking. Depression isn't a word we like to say, but it's a reality many of us face. It affects our emotions, our thinking, our behavior and even our bodies. It can feel like there isn't any part of us that is left untouched by darkness. But what I need you to hear, what I need you to hear is that a comeback is possible. We hear the story of Elijah and I love what James writes about him. He says Elijah was a human just like us. He had real emotions, real problems. He had a real highs and low lows. But this is the comeback story of Elijah. Elijah, the mighty and powerful prophet of God, the man who courageously stood against the false prophets of Baal in a mountaintop showdown that ended with a barbecue. But did you know that Elijah also knew what the valley felt like? Elijah once found himself all alone in a place of pain, rejection, and darkness. How did Elijah manage to get out of his hole of depression? This is the true comeback story of Elijah. Wow. I look at Elijah and I see those long flowing locks. Um, slightly jealous. But I have to admit, on my way in, I passed by that Moses character. Wow, he was a handsome prophet. Uh, Moses, 
pretty good-looking guy, and Elijah doesn't have anything on him. Elijah, he may not have been the best-looking prophet with his long, flowing locks, but he was an incredible figure in the nation of Israel. He, was an, he played an important role in their history, and he was a prophet. And I love how Pastor Mark McKnight, he explained that to us a few weeks ago, what a prophet was. And he illustrated that a prophet was a whistleblower, someone that God would use to bring the nation back in line. Now, the nation of Israel, they had a responsibility. God had blessed them so that they could be a blessing to others. They were to live out their relationship with God in order to bless the nations around them and ultimately to bless the world. And prophets, what their role was, was when Israel was stepping out of line, the prophets were to blow this whistle and bring them back in line. And God used Elijah incredibly to do this. God used Elijah to call a drought. He said, for three years, it's not going to rain. God supernaturally provided for Elijah during this drought. He fed him. God used Elijah to raise a boy from the dead. Elijah had seen the miraculous, the spectacular, so many times throughout his life. But it's important to note the time that Elijah was a prophet for Israel. The Hebrew Bible, it, it tells us a little bit about the ruler, the king of that time. His name was Ahab. I'll give you a little bit. Ahab was not a nice guy. The Bible in 1 Kings, we can read about Ahab, and it's, it's a pretty bold statement. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. Ahab said, you know what? You guys have been evil, but I'm going to take evil to a whole nother level. Wickedness. I'm going to take the nation of Israel so much farther away from God, they're going to remember me. So this was the ruler of the time when Elijah was a prophet. Now, you can imagine that this wouldn't be a great time if the king is saying, well, Israel, you're supposed to do this, but I'm going to take wickedness to a whole nother level. During this time, Ahab actually, there becomes such tension between him and Elijah. Ahab would go around looking for Elijah. He was looking, it wasn't to wish him a happy birthday. He was looking to kill him. He'd go into the other nations around and he'd force the rulers, is Elijah here? And he'd force them to swear to it. Okay, Elijah's not here. Swear to it. So he's going around, he's looking to kill Elijah. Elijah has this tension, this pressure is building. This whole situation, he's calling, Elijah's calling the nation of Israel back to worship the one true God. Ahab's leading them in the other direction and this tension is mounting. The tension is mounting and it ends up in a showdown on a mountaintop. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the story from the PAV. That's the Pastor Austin version. So you're going to have to bear with me. There comes a moment where now Ahab, the nation of Israel, and Ahab's prophets for this idol, this false god that they're worshiping, they come to Mount Carmel. So they all come up, and then there's Elijah. And they meet on top of the mountain, and we're going to settle this once and for all. Elijah says, you know what? If this idol that the wicked king is telling you to worship, if that's God, he's God, he shows up, we'll worship him. Or if the God of Israel, the God that you are supposed to know, that you know you should be following is God, we're going to follow him, and this is how we're going to tell. We're going to offer a sacrifice. Seems like a good thing to do. So we're going to offer a sacrifice, 
and whichever God consumes a sacrifice in fire, that's who we're going to worship. Sound good? Yeah, this sounds great. All right, prophets, you 450 prophets, you guys go first. So Elijah, he steps back and the prophets come in and it's morning time and they prepare their altar. They prepare their sacrifice and they're working themselves up. They want to evoke a response from this idol. They're doing everything that they can to get a response and nothing's working. Now, Elijah, and I kind of can identify with this, Elijah's just sitting back and he's watching this and now he starts to get his digs in. Uh, guys, maybe your God, maybe he's daydreaming. That's why he's not responding. He's not coming down. He's not going to consume you. He's daydreaming. So you got to chant a little louder, guys. Nothing. Elijah's just waiting. Uh, guys, maybe he might be in the washroom, a little indisposed at the moment. So maybe you guys want to pick it up, get a little bit louder, and then he'll hear you. He'll come down. Still Nothing. Elijah says, oh, maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's sleeping. Elijah's get, he's getting his digs in. And this, clearly the prophets are getting worked up. They're trying to evoke a response. They're doing everything that they can to have their God come and consume the sacrifice. And nothing happens. So Elijah, it's been morning. Now it's evening time. Nothing. Elijah gets up and he repairs a broken down altar. God's altars had been torn down because they were worshiping this false god. So Elijah repairs the altar. He digs a trench around the altar, puts the wood on, puts a sacrifice on top, and then he takes four large jars of water. And he pours these jars of water over the sacrifice. And he pours those four large jars of water three times. Now, I am not an expert, but when starting a fire... You, you, typically, you don't put water on top of the thing you're trying to burn, but Elijah knows who he serves. And then he stands up with great confidence and says a simple prayer, and immediately, God shows up. Now, in our bumper, we said barbecue, and I thought, well, this isn't like when I'm trying to start the barbecue, and there's a little, and okay, now everything's going, and I can cook. It's not when I've left the gas on too long, and there's a bit more fire. God shows up so incredibly, so supernaturally. Not only is a sacrifice consumed by fire, not only is the wood on the altar consumed by fire, the stones of the altar, the dust on the ground, the trench that was filled with 15 liters of water that had poured over, all of it is consumed. God shows up incredibly, supernaturally, immediately. Now, King Ahab, the people of Israel, the prophets are over here seeing this. Now the Israelites are saying, we messed up. They start looking around. They start looking at the prophets, those false prophets, thinking you guys were leading us away from God who showed up immediately. And they turn and deal with the prophets as they would have in that time. There were no more prophets, let's put it that way. They're a little upset because they know, the Israelites know they had messed up. Now, the king, clearly the wicked king, he had been leading the Israelites in the other direction. He's devastated. He's upset. Elijah actually goes to him and says, you know, the drought that has been happening, rain's coming. 
and you better get out of here. So Ahab, he jumps in his chariot and he's going to ride off. He's actually heading to see his missus, Jezebel, not a nice lady herself. And he's going to tell her what happened. Again, incredibly, supernaturally, Elijah runs. He books it. He runs the 25 kilometers and he beats the chariot. He beats it there. God is again using him incredibly, supernaturally. Now Ahab gets there. He tells Jezebel, oh my dear, my love, you wouldn't believe the day that I've had. It was so awful. This Elijah, you know, he's the worst. And oh my goodness, and the prophets, and they tried, and they didn't, God didn't show up. And then Israel, oh, Yahweh, he showed up, and oh my goodness. And then they killed the prophets. And Jezebel hears this, and she, um, she doesn't mince her words. Her response to this is, you go tell that Elijah the gods will deal with me ever so severely if I don't kill him by this time tomorrow. And we hear, and it's recorded for us, Elijah's response to this queen. She wasn't to be messed with. She was a force on her own. We hear in 1 Kings, Elijah's response. It says, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. I think that would be a natural response for someone saying they want to kill you. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. It's important for us to note a lot has been said about this passage, but we need to know a few things. Elijah, he had done the will of God. He had experienced a high, high, and it was followed with an emotional low. He had done the will of God. He had done exactly what God had called him to do, and then followed a let, this emotional letdown. And this isn't uncommon. This isn't solely ever happened to Elijah. This can happen to all of us when we've met an objective, when we've done what God has called us to do, we can experience emotional letdown. We can experience that. So not only had Elijah spiritually, he was spent. He had given his all. Physically, I don't run 25 kilometers and you beat a chariot. Physically, he was spent. He was tired. And I think emotionally, three years you had lived with the pressure of the ruler of your nation wants to kill you, is looking, is forcing people to tell him if you're there. We don't know if the rejection of his message to the Israelites, come back to God, come back to God, come back. We don't know if the rejection of that message played a part, but I hope that you can see that this was not just one thing. Elijah just wasn't sad. This wasn't a depression that came out of the blue. There were a lot of different factors that played a part. And Elijah finding himself in this place of darkness, praying to God, I wish you would take my life. And we can think when someone who is experiencing mental health issues, very rarely is it just one thing, but usually it is a culmination of many other things that leave someone finding themselves in a place of depression. It is so important for us to note the World Health Organization actually says depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So many people face this. 
So many people, their whole bodies, their emotions, spiritually, physically, they feel the effects of depression. And what I love is how God responds to his creation, created in his image. He sees this emotionally, physically, spiritually broken, just spent man. And how does God respond to him? He doesn't say, snap out of it. Come on, Elijah, do you remember who I am? He does what I think is something incredible. He bakes him some bread. I liked homemade bread, like the next person. I kind of think that that is probably the best bread that Elijah ever had. We read it in 1 Kings. It says, then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Now we don't know if the sleep was a symptom of his depression or if it was him finding rest. I kind of feel that he was sleeping and he went back to sleep. I feel it might have been a symptom. But God intervenes physically. The first step that he does is he comes and he sees us as a whole being, a whole creation, and God intervenes physically to set Elijah up for his comeback, to set him up so that he can intervene emotionally and spiritually. And I love how God does that. And for us as a church, we need to remember we're a whole person. Oftentimes the first step, sometimes the best step for somebody who's struggling with mental health issues is to go see a family doctor, to have someone who can physically intervene in that moment to help prepare you and set you up so that you can be whole. You can take steps towards wholeness. Now God had set him up and Elijah, now he's been fed. God feeds him again and now he takes off and Elijah goes into hiding. He runs away, he goes a great distance and he takes off into the wilderness and he just wants, he wants to get away. He wants to be alone with God and he heads for Mount Sinai, the mountain of God and he sleeps in a cave. And here when we read it in 1 Kings, God asks him a couple of questions. And he gives Elijah the space. God asks questions and he leaves it. He gives Elijah the space. And we see what happens next. It's incredible. God then tells Elijah, he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And Elijah, he found himself hiding. And what God used wasn't the spectacular. He used a gentle whisper. And for us, as a church community, for people, we can want to leave things in hiding. We can want to not talk about depression, mental health issues, because we want to leave it in hiding. But we want to be a place here where we can be drawn out, where we can talk about these things, where we can be a community where it's okay not to be okay. Because God can use that to bring what so many of us want to hide. God can use that to bring us towards wholeness. So I'd like you to watch 
the story of one of our church family who courageously shares what could be hidden by so many, but she courageously shares how God intervened in her situation. Let's watch the screens. Hi, I'm Nancy. Growing up, I was described as very introverted. I was particularly sensitive. Uh, it would just take me forever to go to get over something. This guy in my high school, he was really cute and we started dating and for various reasons, it only ended after just four weeks. That's when the first clinical symptoms of depression started to unfold. And I started to have uh, suicidal desires. The need to die was very much biological in nature um, and was more powerful than my need to eat or drink. Uh, when I saw my parents, that they were down on their knees to beg me not to hurt myself, they hit away all the knives in the kitchen. They wrapped the handle of the balcony door with layers of wires. They did everything they could to protect, to protect me. But the morning of June 20th, I got up and headed to the balcony. Yes, the first thing in the morning. I saw a chair and I just hopped onto the chair and crossed over to the other side of the fence without any hesitation. My dad was able to catch a little part of my pants, but obviously he wasn't strong enough to pull me up. And because of that, he broke a knuckle in his hand and he had bruises all over his chest. I fell from eighth floor and instantly I was paralyzed. I remember the exact second when all the feelings and sensations, nerves would gone from my waist below and I knew that I would never be able to walk again. I thought about God. I felt like he wanted to punish me. I felt like he intentionally kept me alive to make my life even more miserable. I was on suicide watch, so I literally, I have attendants coming, watching me every day, 24-7. They, they were praying for me, they were comforting me. I remember there was this particular girl. She um, offered to pray for me before I went to bed. That's the first time I heard somebody call God Father. And, and prior to that, I thought that he was a judge, like he was uh, giving me what I deserved it. I told myself that I would never be happy again. I would never do anything in my life and no one would ever take me seriously and I would never get over this regret. There was one person whose older sister also committed suicide and he encouraged me to pray to God. I just simply said, please help me. That's all I knew how to pray. During that time, that's when my faith started to grow. Though I still didn't know Jesus or God that much, but I felt his love through the love of those Christian friends, I started to develop a more intimate relationship with him and start to know how to pray properly. In 2006, I was once again admitted into the psychiatric facility. I was without sleep for seven days. My depression was, again, very bad to a point where I wanted to give up again. There was a voice that is um, trying to talk me out of it and he used the least amount of word to penetrate my thoughts um, and change my heart. And all he said was, think about your parents and be patient in suffering. So New Year's Eve 2007, that night I prayed to God. I could not imagine a way that I would ever be happy again. 
but I still believe in you. You you can make it happen. So I trust you. April of that year, my doctor wanted me to try a, a new medication for bipolar disorder. A month after being on that medication, I just felt like a completely different person. Uh, I was just happier. I was just refreshed. And I, I never felt that way for the first 22 years of my life. Today, my spinal injury is probably better than 80% of the people in the spinal injury community in terms of my independence, my agilities, and function level. So my survival itself was a miracle. If this was the only way to know God, and, and I would take the same path all over again. Like I'd rather be who I am right now than somebody who has an able body but doesn't have a spirit that, that knows God. So life is still colorful in spite of a physical disability. My belief, my faith in God was everything that sustains me. Like He's my strength, He's my joy, He's my peace and He's my hope. He is enough already. He is, he is all I need to, to live uh, a good life. And Nancy was in our last service and I thanked her for her courage to share her story because her story emboldens many of us. See, friends, uh, if you've grown up in any sort of uh, spiritual experience like I have, often we've, we've, we've not talked about these things in church and that's where stigmas grow, in the shadows. Uh, but thankfully the Bible is not silent on these areas. The Bible talks quite explicitly and openly about our health our whole being. So I want to do a little bit of a poll here. Are you ready to participate? Good. I want everyone to put up their hand that is 100% physically fit, healthy. There is no deficiency in your body whatsoever. Put up your hand. Oh, so some of you have room to grow there. Some of you could lose a few pounds. Some of you could run a little bit more. Some of you might need to get a little more healthy. Okay, okay, so if that's physical health, okay. What, what about this one then? How many of you, put up your hands, if you are 100% emotionally healthy in every single way? I mean, there's no worry. There's no concern. There's no fears. There's, you're completely emotionally healthy. Could you put... Hmm, no one in that quadrant either. Okay, so not, not totally emotionally healthy. You have room to grow in your emotional health, I, I understand. In your physical health, you have some room to grow. What about in your spiritual health. How many of you are 100% you've arrived? I mean, there's Jesus and then there's you. <laughs> Who, who's that? Who's that? Oh, oh, no, nobody here. Oh, oh, I guess you're here because you need a doctor, right? Which is really key to understanding if you're going to grow spiritually. You need to know that you haven't arrived. God opposes the proud and God welcomes the humble, right? So how many are you 100% mentally healthy? feels a little different when I say that, isn't it? Because there's stigmas that exist around this incredible organ in our body. And a lot of people suffer in silence. So I've been pastoring a long time now, 27 years or something I've been pastoring. I've met a lot of people over that time who've suffered silently. I've watched families suffer 
and expend incredible amounts of energy to manage appearances in public venues and social settings because they're covering for someone in their family. I have watched marriages limp along because one of the two has maybe a mental health issue, a depression, an anxiety, something that's debilitating in their life. And what it does is maybe because of pride, it's difficult to ask for help, sometimes because of the stigmas that are around it. And so instead, the marriage kind of limps along barely breathing through this. So as Pastor Austin mentioned, as he set up the stage for where Elijah was, I want to talk about a comeback from the setback of depression. But I want to say this just before we jump back into the text. If you're struggling, whether you're online or in the room here, I would love you to take a minute and email Pastor Austin. He's made his email address available. There's cards at our info desk, austin at onechurch.to. We work with a lot of Christian counselors, psychologists, and psychiatrists, and we believe that the best version of us is one that is growing and becoming more healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And there is no shame in that. So we want to encourage you to take a step, and I hope this message will encourage you to take a step towards greater health. So Elijah, he's depressed. He's hiding in a cave in a mountain. And his comeback actually starts with this whisper that Pastor Austin mentioned. And the words that God whispers to Elijah, part of his comeback is simply this. He asks him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Every time you read something in the scripture, pause for a minute and ask, why is God focusing in on this? Why would God ask Elijah this question? Here's one reason he's not. He's not asking Elijah why he's there. Be, to get some information from him. He's God. He knows exactly. And this is good news for you if you're online or in this room. God knows exactly where you are today. And he knows what has happened to you and the choices you have made too. Some of it's something that's happened to us. Some of it are some of the choices we've made. He knows all those things that have contributed to why we are where we are today. And so he asks him this question. Why are you here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He wasn't roaming around Mount Sinai and he says, hey, Elijah, hey, what are you doing here? No, he knows what he's doing here. When God asks you a question, it's not to get information from you, it's to get information to you. And he's asking a beautiful open-ended question for a reason. Now he says, why are you here? He's at Mount Sinai. Uh, anyone been there? I didn't think so. It's really remote. In fact, I, I Google mapped it for you, just so you knew Elijah's journey. You, you need to understand the Google Maps. I, Elijah probably went on the top of Mount Carmel. He was just like Googling mapping, and he was just figuring out his journey down there. And I, and I figured it out. It's a 621-kilometer walk from Mount Carmel to Mount Sinai. It's a journey. It's a journey. I don't think Uber was around then, so he, he had, a, he had a quite a journey ahead of him. Why would he go all the way there to hide? What drew him to Mount Sinai? Well, Mount Sinai, here's the modern-day picture of Mount Sinai. It looks very inhospitable. It was a place where God met Moses. If you'll remember the story, when the children of God were in slavery in Egypt, 
Two months into their journey towards the promised land, they came to Mount Sinai. They camped at the foot of it. Uh, and Moses ascended into the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. You seen the movie? He received the Ten Commandments. He came back down. And if you know the story too, in Exodus chapter 3, 33, it chronicles as they're about to leave Mount Sinai and head to the promised land. They camped there for a while. God said, show me your glory. Or Moses said, show me your glory. God said, you can't handle my glory. And he hid him in a cave. Sound familiar? In a crevice, in a cleft. And he covered him with his hand so that when his glory passed by, Moses didn't, didn't die. He couldn't handle the pure presence of God. So he was like us, a sinful person. So he hid him in a cave, just like Elijah's hid in the cave, waiting for God to show up. Why did Moses go, or why did Elijah go to the mountain of God? The same reason you and I come here sometimes. When I was a young adult, I left home at 18. I went to school in another part of Canada, and I did summer jobs that never brought me back home, except for Christmas break. So kind of on my own for quite a little while there. But I remember the feeling when I would come home, and I was like 20 years old, and I'd come home, and that feeling at Christmas, and I just relaxed. And the reason I could relax is I knew, oh, you know what, I was under my dad's protection and provision, if only for a week or two. When I was by myself, I was always on edge. Why? You gotta look out for yourself. You gotta look out. Does this person mean good? Is this protected? Are the doors locked? Are you eating enough? Are you, you gotta take care of yourself. But when I went home, I realized, oh, I can relax. Dad's got it. Dad's got it. Elijah's trying to get to that place where dad's got it. He's going to the mountain for the same reason we often come to places like this. We're looking for light. We're looking for hope. We're looking for freedom. We're looking for God. That's why this place is so critical as a spiritual community of believers that we remain a place that Torontonians can run to. And they know when they walk in here, they won't be judged. They will not be condemned. Because God doesn't do that to Elijah and he doesn't do it to us. Religion can sometimes. Religious people can sometimes. And we need to be a welcoming place. Why? Because we want to be known as a healing community. We want to be known as a place when you go here, God is here. Truth is here. Love is here. Grace is here, and we need to zealously protect that, that we become the type of spiritual community that can impact the city for God. Remember our vision, know God, love people, and impact the city. So Mo, or Elijah finds himself in this place. He's run to the mountain of God. He's run to find God, and here he is in this moment, this setback, and it starts with, the whole comeback starts with this whisper, God talks to him. And God says, you know, what are you doing here? This beautiful open-ended question that every good counselor knows how to ask an open-ended question. And if you read, and I would encourage you to read this week, 1 Kings 19, this is where the account is. And in 1 Kings 19, you realize that God doesn't say much after that. He lets Elijah talk. He asks the question, and Elijah just kind of spews out all his anxiety, all of the darkness that's inside of him. He says all kinds of things like, you know, I'm the only one left serving you. 
And if you read the text, you realize it wasn't even true. But it's interesting, God didn't jump in and correct them. If you're caring for someone who's struggling with a mental health issue or even depression, the temptation to jump in and say, no, 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 that's not true, is sometimes not helpful. God is a great listener. He allows him to talk. And if you're in a place of depression, I want to tell you that likely the first path or first step out of it is you got to talk about it. Why are we talking about it today? In hopes that some of you will talk about it. It's okay not to be okay. To be able to take a step to talk about some of the things that keeps you hiding in the back of the cave that keeps you in that place of maybe depression. And God deals with Elijah in a way that's kind of unexpected. See, sometimes I think with us, God listens to him and helps him. He doesn't correct him. Sometimes when we deal with mental health issues, at least in the churches I've grown up in, in the spiritual communities I've been a part of, sometimes we oversimplify and we, prog we have a prognosis for something that really hurts the person in the end. So, Often, we'll over-spiritualize things. We'll say, when someone's struggling with depression or anxiety, the enemy is attacking you. Or if you only you prayed more. And all we're doing, and we don't mean to, but all we're doing is pushing them to the back of the cave. Or we'll, we'll oversimplify it, saying it's just an emotional thing. Go to, a, go to a counselor. Or it's just a physical thing. Take a pill. When likely, it's complex. Just as it was for Elijah. It was physical, he needed to rest and eat. It was emotional, he needed to talk. And it was spiritual, he needed to hear the voice of God. I am so thankful for mental health practitioners and medical doctors that along with God's spirit is able to help put people back together in great places of health. And he did this to Elijah. So it starts with talking. That's why we're talking about it today. Then, it, then it's really important that we mind our tone when we talk about this, especially if you're journeying with someone else. Isn't it interesting that God whispers to him? It says that he used a gentle whisper or an older version of the scripture, the King James Version, calls it a still, small voice. I love the adjectives around that. A still, small voice. What's ironic in it is God showed up and Elijah is at the back of a cave in Mount Sinai looking for God, and he is truly looking for a spectacular. He wants Mount Carmel all over again. And God comes in the hurricane, but the hurricane doesn't bring him out. God comes in the fire, but that doesn't bring him out of the cave. God comes with the earthquake, but that doesn't bring him out of the cave. God comes precisely in the way that we need, not always the way that we want. Elijah deals in the sensational, in the miraculous, and in the powerful. And that is truly who God is. But Mount Carmel is unusual. It is not God's normal operating system. The bulk of Scripture is God's voice leading God's people continually towards places of health and wholeness. Elijah wants something spectacular to happen. And God shows up, and it's the whisper that calls him out. It's the whisper. It's what he needed. The gentle voice bringing him out into the light. It's not a lecture. It's not condemnation. It's not the spectacular. 
It's the gentle. Tone is important. Friends, if you're in a setback of depression and life seems dark, there feels like that hope is fading, don't look for the spectacular just to rescue you. Some people have locked in on how God needs to move in their life. They're dealing with a mental health issue. They want someone to pray with them, and it's done. More than likely, that is an unusual. It is, a pro- it is possible. God does heal. God does the miraculous, but it is unusual. More often than not, God uses a multitude of people and others to heal us and restore us back into community with himself. Think about in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this really neat story. It starts out kind of like a bummer story in as much as there's a rich man and he goes to hell. Not so nice, right? And he looks up and he sees Father Abraham in heaven. And Jesus is telling this story, a way to get, illustrate a point. And he looks up and he sees fa- uh, Father Abraham in heaven. And he says, Father Abraham, would you bring someone back from the dead to tell my brothers to live a better life now so they don't end up in hell like I am? I don't want them to be here. Would you do a miracle? Would you do something spectacular? Would you do something sensational? Would you do a power move to change my brother's hearts? And in Jesus' story, he responds. Abraham responds and says this. They have Moses and the prophets. If they won't listen to scripture, if they won't listen to God's voice, they won't listen to someone who's been risen from the grave. Do you understand what he's saying there? It's pretty powerful. He's saying if you really want to change, instead of looking for a mystical experience or a miraculous experience, go to the scripture Go to the scripture and listen to his voice. Read the scripture as if it's God speaking to you. We need to hear God's voice when we're in the middle of darkness. I wonder how God speaks to you. I wonder if God's been speaking through a family member, but you don't want to listen. I wonder if God's spoken through his scripture to you, but it's not what you wanted to hear. I wonder if God would love to speak to you through a counselor, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist, or a doctor in some way, but you just don't want to go there because that requires an acknowledgement of need. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Tone is incredibly patient. And then friends, if you hear this, I love Nancy's video. She said so many amazing things. But she said she had seen him as a judge, not a father. I want you to know God's tone towards you is gentle. Judgment comes someday. But it says in scripture, he is patient, not wanting anyone, anyone to be lost. He loves you. He wants you. He made you. He loves you. He wants you. He made you. That is God's tone towards you. So talk, tone, last one, turning. Part of his comeback is he has to do something. There's some action that needs to be taken. So immediately he comes to the opening of the cave. The whisper gets him out there. And then God says, here's the plan. God always has a plan. You might want to say that to the person next to you. God always has a plan. God always has a plan. Here's God's plan for Elijah. Go back the same way you came. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. God, <laughs> I left there because I got depressed there. Why are you sending me back the same way I came? This is the hard part about getting healthy. Often we have to revisit, maybe not physically, 
but in our memory and with our words, what has damaged us in the past so we can leave it there. This is why I am a big advocate for Christian counselors and others that provide a safe spot for you to go back the same way you came so you can go a different way. And then he continues. And, you know, sometimes when God speaks, it doesn't look like good news all of a sudden. Go back the same way you came and then travel to the, can you say this word with me? Wilderness of Damascus. So, okay, God, let me get this straight. Go back to where I got depressed. Come back, go back that way and then go to the wilderness. When you're in a place of brokenness or neediness, don't you want comfort? I want an oasis. Give me the water. Give me the camels and the coconut trees. Let's make this nice. And you want to send me to the wilderness? The pathway forward, friends, and this is really important for anyone who's struggling with anything. We want relief so bad, we often try to press the fast forward button and we don't realize there was a process to getting to our place of brokenness and there will be a process to getting back to our place of wholeness. So I was in my early 30s and I was struggling, but I was a very proud man. And I'm the type of wiring personality that you kind of, you know, I can take this mountain. I can run through this wall. That was kind of my wiring. My family narrative was uh, we overcome things. You don't succumb to weaknesses. But I found myself in this cycle that was toxic and unhealthy. And despite my best efforts, I couldn't break it alone. And I picked up the phone and I called someone to go into counseling. And here was the hard part about that. There were many hard parts about that. I was proud. I don't need somebody else's help. I mean, if I physically I did, I'd go see a doctor in a second. But I didn't want to have to admit maybe emotionally in some way that I needed extra help. And here's the other part. My wiring was working against this whole counseling thing because I thought, listen, I'll go for one session. That ought to do it. Because what I didn't want to be is in the wilderness. I didn't want to have to go through a season of working this out. I wanted a silver bullet that could fix it quick. Why? Because that was the way I worked. That was my phonetic pace in life. Let's deal with things and move on. But I had to pause for a season. I had to go into this wilderness experience for a season. It didn't feel like things were always getting better until they got way better. Way better. And it was just as with Nancy's story, it was not only the help of somebody else, but it was God too that got to speak to me in those moments in a way I would never listen to him in the mountaintop. It was transformative. So he says, go back the same way you came, travel into the wilderness, and then he says, when you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. That's a whole other story in itself, but I will say this. What he's basically saying is, and get back to work. Get back to work. You're a prophet. This is what you do. This is what I asked you to do. So now, listen, you've been in the cave. We're going to move you towards places of health. It's going to require going back to where you were. It's going to require a season in the wilderness. But then you know what? Let's get back to work. Let's not stay in the cave. Let's get back to doing something. Friends, when it comes to mental health, emotional health, I can't do it justice on a morning like this. But I do want you to see that, hear this in conclusion. There are three elements of judgment that are revealed in 
1 Kings 19. The fire, the earthquake, and the hurricane. And did you notice not one of them could touch Elijah? Why? Because he was hidden in the rock. Now the rock took the full blunt force, though, of the hurricane, the wind, and the fire. Mount Carmel represents the spectacular and the miraculous, and God is a God of the miraculous and the spectacular. Mount Sinai represents the miracle of the process of God's healing. And there's a third mount. We'll end with this. Because centuries later, Elijah would be back on a mountain, along with Moses, who God brought down from heaven to meet with Jesus. And it's the Mount of Transfiguration. And the three of them are there, and they're talking about Jesus' coming, upcoming sacrifice. And there is Moses and Elijah looking in the eyes of the very rock that sheltered them. He took the hit so we could be whole. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus' great, his cousin and friend, John the Baptist, finds himself in a major setback of depression. He's in prison. Herod has wrongly imprisoned him. His life is on the line. And in the middle, he loses perspective as we do when we're in the dark. And he sends a note to Jesus, his disciples to Jesus, and say, are you really the one you said you were? Are you really him? Because I thought you would come with fire. I thought you would come with judgment. Why am I the one in prison and Herod's the one on the outside? Why is it not like with Elijah and John the Baptist as compared to Elijah in Scripture? Why is it not like Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal? I seem to be losing here. And Jesus responds in such a loving way to his cousin. But he does remind him. Listen, if I came in fire of judgment, not only would Herod get burned up, but so would you. I didn't come to bring God's judgment now. That'll be later. I came to bear God's judgment now. He was shook so you could stand. He experienced the fire so that when you hold his hand, you can walk right through the fire. He took the penalty so we could have a way forward. Friends, Nancy said something in the video, and I'll conclude with this. I watched that video like four times, her testimony. First time I watched it, I had to stop, and um, it was tough to get through because she was so raw and real, and hopefully we'll put up the extended version sometime this week. It is worth the investment. But she, she said this. She said, if this was the only way to know God, then I would take the same path over again. I want you to know whatever dark place you're in, you're having trouble holding on to anything. I hope you know Jesus so he can hold on to you. I mentioned Stuart Mulligan earlier in our gathering. A man meant a lot to us as a church community. And on Tuesday at 11 a.m. in this room, we're going to celebrate his homegoing. Uh, we're going to stream it online if you can't make it. But, you know, as a church community, I, I would encourage you to, to listen in. I mean, he ended his life well. I want to end my life well. I think you want to end your life well too. And the beautiful thing is when our hand is in Jesus, this life is not the end. He is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him, even though they die, will live. 
And that is a promise. Let me pray for you. Father, I am so very thankful that the scripture doesn't sugarcoat things, oversimplify things, but it's honest and real. And in the midst of its honesty, there's incredible hope. And I pray, Lord, whether online or in this room, God, by your spirit, would you just breathe hope into this room? Hope, God. No matter how dark, difficult, no matter how much of a rock bottom we think we hit or a rock wall we're facing, I pray there would be hope in this room. You are the God of the miraculous and you are the God of the process. And God, I pray, Jesus, that you would begin to move in and among us as a community. Lord, we pause and we pray for those who are caring for people that are struggling with emotional or mental health issues. It's taxing. Sometimes, God, it's frustrating. And sometimes we're not as patient as you were with Elijah. And maybe sometimes we're not as gentle as you were with Elijah. But in your gentleness, you didn't enable him to stay there either, God. Lord, you, you, you brought him and drew him with your patience and your love. But you did challenge him to get going and move forward too, towards greater wholeness and freedom. I pray for incredible wisdom for the caregivers in this room to do just both of those things. To know when to listen and hold our tongue. To know when to, to, to push a little bit. To know when to uh, direct towards somebody else to get involved to help. Because Lord, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, we all need to get a little better in this room. And God, we want to be the type of community where people can be not okay and we'll love them and we'll help them move towards that. Lord, we all pause and we pray for those who are in the middle of the cave right now. Those who've been struggling with depression and anxiety and some emotional and mental health issues. It's so much more complex than my simple talk, I know. Lord, if anything, we pray by your spirit that you would inspire them to take another step towards wholeness today. God, even by having this conversation, they would be able to reach out to someone and say, I'm not okay. And God, that would be okay. <laughs> and we'd be able to journey together to see so many people freed up. So God, I pray for those who are physically hurting, would you heal? For those who are emotionally hurting, would you heal? Even using the community of the believers to be a part of that healing process. For those in this room who are spiritually hurting, God, I know you can heal. May they place their trust in you. For those who are struggling with mental health issues, I'm so thankful for an incredible medical community and a church community that can work together to help us to be the best versions of ourselves. We know someday there will be no more pain and no more illness. But until that day, God, we place our trust in you to carry us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.